Tonight, we're right smack dab in the middle of our series called Goliath Must Fall. Goliath must fall. And uh, for those of you that don't know, this whole series is all about the life of this guy named David and about this one time that David actually faced another guy named Goliath. And some of you might remember this from week one that we talked about David and Goliath. And the big picture was, you know, it was, it was like a small guy versus a big guy, right? It was like an underdog versus someone that was obviously going to win. But the crazy turn of events was that through, uh, because of the story, because of what God was going to do, it was actually the big guy that fell. And so Goliath actually fell, and David was victorious. And so I love this series, and I love talking about David and Goliath. And maybe you were here for week one, and you remember that, or maybe you remember kind of growing up hearing about David and Goliath. Uh, and as we've been kind of going through this, this story in this series, I tried to think of like a modern-day picture of David and Goliath, right? Like, like, wh like what would it look like for a modern-day David and Goliath? Because do you guys remember how tall Goliath actually was? Who remembers? That's right, nine foot, nine inches tall, right? He's a, he's a giant. And so, like, I tried to think of, like, what would it look like for there to be a giant standing next to, like, a really small person? And so I actually found a picture, and it's pretty awesome, and I want to show it to you. But before I do, uh, do you guys know who Kevin Hart is? Yeah, 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 yeah. you know who Kevin Hart is. Uh, uh, do you guys know who Dwight Howard is? Yeah. So check out this picture of a modern-day David and Goliath. Look at that. Look at how massive he is. Like, his arm is bigger than Kevin Hart's whole body. That is un... And, like, you know, Kevin Hart's like four foot nothing. You know what I'm saying? Don't tell him I said that, though. Okay? So, just between you and I. Yeah, so I love, I love this picture uh, because, to me, it just kind of paints a picture of what David and Goliath must have looked like. Uh, but I got to be honest, okay? Uh, there's one thing about this picture that I don't, I don't really love, uh, and that's... Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of Dwight Howard. Okay, I'm not. And, and it's not because he's like really tall or because he's famous. The reason I'm not a huge fan of Dwight Howard is because he's really good at basketball. And I'm awful at basketball. Like, amen. I'm just as terrible as it gets. About, like, 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 does anyone in the room love basketball? Like, you're all about basketball. Like, you can't wait. Okay, good for you. I'm awful at basketball, okay? It is, it is the sport I am most terrible at. Like, like think, of, think of the worst basketball player you've ever seen, right? It could be like a three-year-old little kid that, like, can't even shoot a basket. That three-year-old kid would beat me, okay? That's how I, I'm telling you. I am, I am just awful at basketball. But for whatever reason, even though I'm terrible at basketball, even though I'm no good at basketball, for whatever reason, I've got a vibe about me. And my vibe is that I love basketball. And so everyone assumes that I love basketball, and they come up to me, and maybe it's because I'm tall or, you know, who knows. But, but, but people always come up to me, and they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to play some basketball. Like, hey, you want to play? Hey, it's three on three. Hey, it's a quick pickup game. And no, I don't want to play. Because I'm awful at basketball. And so people always come up to me, and every time they come up to me and ask me to play this terrible game, this is the answer that I always give them. Every time I say this, I say, trust me, you don't want me to do that. Okay? Like, like almost like, uh, you know, for your own sake, you don't want me to do that. Like, it would be fun for you to play. It would not be fun for me. To, like, that's how awful I am. Trust me. Okay? You don't want me to do that. Okay? I'm so awful. Trust me. You don't want me to. And so, you know, people come up to me and they're like, hey, hey, Steve, you know, we're going to play a little game of three on three and we've only got two people. Hey, do you want to play? And I'm like, <laughs> trust me. Okay? You don't want me to do that. You don't want me to do that, you know, uh, uh, like other people are like, hey, we got a quick pickup game, it'll be a lot of fun. And I'm like, 
Now, trust me, okay? You don't want me, you don't want me to do that. Um, this, this one time, a guy uh, that, that I'm good friends with named Matt, he actually approached me and he said, hey man, a bunch of, a bunch of pastors are getting together and we're gonna like play some basketball. Hey, Steve, I bet you would love to play. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, uh, trust me, okay? You don't, you don't want me to play. But he kept insisting. He was like, no, 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 it's going to be a lot of fun. It's fine. Like, none of us are really any good at basketball. It's just going to be a quick, fun pickup game. And I'm like, no, trust me, okay? You don't want me to do that. But he kept insisting, right? He kept asking me. He kept pressuring me until finally I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll play, okay? I tried to warn you, but fine, I'll play. So then he, you know, tosses me the basketball, and I, I get up to the you know, free, free throw line, I think it's called. Anyways, um, so like I'm up to the free throw line and I'm like, all right, here we go. And I, and I shoot the basketball clear over the goal. I mean, it's like, it's good. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all the way, all the way past it. And then I look over at my friend who like invited me to play and he, he is laughing uncontrollably. Like, like he can't, he's just like, it's as if someone told a funny joke and I don't know what the joke is, you know? And I'm just like, it was so funny, man. And then, and then finally, he like regains his composure, and uh, and he goes, okay, okay, Steve, okay, but like seriously, like shoot the basketball. And I look at him and I go, I just did, bro. <laughs> like that's exactly what I did. He's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't actually shoot the ball that way. And I'm like, yeah, like what's wrong with like I just shot the basketball. That's what you asked me to do. And so finally he comes around beside me and we like stop the whole game and he comes up beside me and he's like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> like like I think you're shooting the basketball wrong. And see what I didn't realize uh, at the time was that I, I like the way I shot a basketball, um I shot a basketball like I was trying to separate first grade girls from fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like stop it. You know, like <laughs> like that's what I did. And so like they'd give me the ball and I was like, "There it is." I uh, like get away from each other, right? Because because I heard it was all like you know you're flicking the wrists, and so I flicked both my wrists, you know, like I'm doing it. And so so the guy comes up to me and he's like, okay, no no no, like don't don't do that. And he starts coaching me, and he's like, you know, he did the whole like one hand thing. You got to hold the basketball like this, and then you just you know go up top, and then you get the other hand, you put it kind of beside it, and then you you know you got it. So he's like he's like don't do this, right? No, do this, like not this, but do this. And he starts coaching me how to do it. And the crazy thing was, um, after like getting some lessons from this guy, uh, not only did I like no longer look foolish shooting a basketball, but I actually made a few shots, right? Come on, get out of here, right? I made a few shots, it was incredible. And, 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 and look, as embarrassing as this story was because I was kind of called out in front, of, in front of all my friends, I learned something that day. And this is actually in your notes. I learned that we, we are blind to our faults. We're blind to our faults. There are things that we do that are wrong that we don't even know about, right? Like, like there are things that, that, that might hurt other people. There are things that we do that just aren't good, but we don't even notice them. We're blind to our own faults. It's like, it's like have you ever had that moment where something awesome in your life happens and you can't wait to tell the story, right? You're like, oh, I got a story. And it's going to be amazing. And so then, you know, you get all your friends together and you've got like four or five of your friends. You're like, okay, okay, come here. This story is going to be amazing. And like in your mind, you know that when you tell the story, like your friends are going to laugh. Some of them are going to cry. Like it's going to be the best story ever told. And so you start telling this story and you get like halfway through the story 
When you notice that like all of your friend's eyes are focused on your nose, and more specifically, they're focused on your left nostril, right? Because you've got a situation going on here. You got a little like a little bat in the cave. You know what I'm saying? There, there's a little hanger going on right there. Do you, you, you pick up what I'm saying, right? Like you got an issue going on and you didn't even know about it. And so you had this awesome story to tell, but no one's listening to your story. They're just looking at your fault right there, right? Like you got an issue going on and you were blind to it. You thought it was going to be an amazing story, but you had something going on and you were blind to it. This is, this is why I think American Idol is so successful. Right? Because, because a lot of people think American Idol is successful because, like, there's really talented people on that show. No. That is not why American Idol is successful. American Idol is successful because there are people that are not talented, but they think they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, the auditions, when that guy goes up, and, like, he's got all the confidence in the world. Like, not only is he going to go to the next round, but he's going to win the whole thing. Right? Like he's got all the confidence in the world. And then he opens his mouth and he begins to sing. And you're like, mute, right? Like it's so bad. And the judges are like holding their hands over their ears. And you just can't believe how bad this guy is. And you're like, there's no way this guy doesn't actually know how terrible he is. But he doesn't know because he's blind to it. He's blind to his own faults. He didn't even realize it. And sometimes maybe there's something that happens in life and you're not necessarily blind to your faults but you're blind at how to get better, right? Like, like, like no one had to convince me that I was awful at basketball, right? Like I, like I knew that, but I didn't know how to get better. And so every time I played, I made the same mistakes over and over and over again. I didn't get any better. In fact, I probably got worse because I was blind at how to get better. And for some of you, for some of you in the room, this is like the situation that you're in. Maybe, maybe last week, after hearing you know, Robbie's talk about, about where you've fallen in life, maybe you've realized that there are areas of your life that you've fallen in, but you don't know how to get any better. Like, like maybe, maybe for you, you've gone too far with him or you've gone too far with her. Or maybe, or maybe you're looking at something online that you know you shouldn't be looking at, but you don't know how to get any better. Or maybe, maybe like you keep fighting with your parents and you like keep trying to not fight with your parents, but it seems like no matter what you do, you just can't help it. And so over and over again, you keep fighting with them and you don't really know how to get better. You're blind to the solution. You don't know what to do. Or maybe, maybe you feel all the peer pressure because you've got some friends that drink. And so even though you swore you never drink, now you've fallen into that. And even though you promised yourself and you're like, I'm not going to drink again, I'm not going to drink again. And yet you do it. Again, because you're blind to how to get better. Or maybe, you know, there might be some of you that you're not blind to your faults, but you want to be blind to your faults. Like, like maybe for some of you, you've seen your faults, but you would just rather ignore them. And so you try to like make yourself blind to them. Like you don't want to pay attention to your faults. And you're hoping that if, you know, if I just don't look at all the problems that I've got, then maybe those problems are going to go away on their own. <laughs> but the problem is this. Ignoring your faults won't make them go away. Just ignoring your faults aren't going to make them go away. It's not like just by, by ignoring them, then all the consequences are going to go away and all the shame is going to go away. You'll find that even though you try to ignore the things that you've done that are wrong, 
the shame keeps piling up and the guilt keeps piling up and the consequences keep piling up. In fact, for some of you, you're stuck in this cycle where like you do something wrong and you know it's wrong, but you don't really want to pay attention to it, but you feel bad nonetheless because you know you've done something wrong. And then because you felt bad, you try to do something to make yourself feel better. And the very thing you do to make yourself feel better is the very thing that got you in that place in the first place. And so on and on you go in this cycle and you don't know how to get better and you're blind to your faults and you're blind to how to get better and you don't know what to do. And so the question for tonight is this, how, how do you overcome the faults you can't see? How do you actually overcome these faults that you can't see? When you know that there's an area of your life that's not going well, when you know that your life is going downhill, when you know there are consequences and you know there's guilt and you know there's shame, but you don't know what to do. And maybe for some of you, you don't even know there's a problem, but you just know something is wrong. So how do you do this? How do you overcome the faults that you can't see? And this is the very question that David from David and Goliath actually struggled with. And so I would love for us to look together at what God did in David's life to help him overcome the faults that he couldn't see. And so do this. I want you to grab your Bible. It should be right around you or maybe right in front of you. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is on page 310, page 310. And we're going to look at what God did in David's life to help him overcome the faults that he was blind to. And uh, as, we, as we talk tonight, I think it's really important because tonight's talk actually builds on what Robbie talked about last week. And so for those of you that weren't here, maybe, maybe you need a little uh, refresher. Last week, we talked about David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. And the whole idea is this. Um, uh, David, after he like, defeated Goliath, he went, to, he went to war. He had all these victories. And then eventually he became king. It was incredible. And as king, he continued to have victory after victory after victory. It almost seemed like he could do no wrong. And then, then when all the kings would normally go off to war, David stayed home. He just didn't feel like fighting anymore. And when he stayed home, one day he looked out and he saw there was a woman on the top of her roof bathing. And that was Bathsheba. And so he saw Bathsheba naked and bathing on the top of her roof. And he looked out and he said, Oh my gosh, I, I want her. I want her to be here. And so he actually sent men to kidnap her and bring her to the palace. And so just kind of as a side note, ladies, I'm going to help you out a little bit. Um, don't bathe on the roof of your house, okay? It's just not going to go well. You know what I'm saying? It's not good. Okay, so time back in. So David looks, and he sees Bathsheba, and she's bathing on the roof of her house. He says, I want her. He sends men to kidnap her. Okay, that's not a good thing. He sends men to kidnap her, takes her into the palace, and then he has sex with her, even though, even though she was already married to someone else. And then he sends her back. And then he finds out, uh-oh, she's pregnant. Uh-oh. Hey, just to help you out in case you didn't know, kind of sex ed, uh, that can happen when you have sex. Um, in fact, that's one of the purposes of sex, not to get into it. But when you have sex, it's possible that then you can have a baby. And that's exactly what happened, right? Uh-oh, she's pregnant. And so now David's like, oh, dang it, I messed up. I messed up because now she's pregnant. So he tries to cover it up. In fact, he tries multiple times to cover it up, but nothing he's doing is working. And so finally, he realizes that he needs to take some pretty drastic measures. And so he actually sends 
for the husband to be killed. And the way he did it is, in my opinion, pretty cowardly. He actually took the husband, he put him on the front lines of battle. And then when the enemy approached, he sent all the men back except for the husband. And so the husband died right there on the battlefield. And so, like, we hear this story of David and Bathsheba. Like, he, he looked, he saw something he wasn't supposed to see, and then he took her, even though he wasn't supposed to do that. He had sex with her, obviously not supposed to do that. And then she's pregnant. He tries to cover it up, probably shouldn't have done that. And then finally he kills the husband. Okay, for those of you that like didn't think there was like maybe you thought the Bible was boring or there's no drama. Oh my gosh, there's so much drama in the Bible, right? And it's obvious that David is in the wrong. In fact, scripture says this. It says the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Well, no joke, right? I mean, when you have sex with a woman that's not your husband and then you kill the husband, I'd say that's pretty bad. Like, I'm no Bible scholar, but I'm going to guess that, yeah, that displeases the Lord, right? In fact, everyone who's ever heard this story, it's obvious to them. It's like, well, no kidding he displeased the Lord. And all the people that heard it during the time, no kidding he displeased the Lord. It was obvious to everyone. In fact, it was obvious to everyone except for one person, David. See, even though it was obvious to everyone else, it was not obvious to David. In fact, as, as I've done research, I've found that it was almost a full year after David killed Bathsheba's husband before he realized that what he did was wrong. A full year. A full year of having sex outside of marriage. A full year of having killed someone, and he thought he was fine. He thought there were no issues, and yet his life was spiraling out of control. And then one day, one day God sends this guy named Nathan to David. And Nathan was a good buddy of David's. Nathan was actually a prophet, meaning he spent time with the Lord and he actually would deliver a message from God to David. Nathan was older and wiser. Nathan was someone that David actually trusted. And so this is what it says right at the beginning of chapter 12. It said, the Lord sent Nathan to David, right? God's saying, I need to send someone to David to make him aware of what he's done. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town. <laughs> and so Nathan shows up, right? God's telling him to show up to David. And then Nathan begins to tell David a story. So here we go. We're going into story time with Nathan. Okay, story time with Nathan. Here's what happened. Nathan begins telling this story. He said, there was once two men that lived in a certain town. And one of them was really rich, and the other one was really poor. And the rich man actually bought up all this cattle and all these sheep and just all these animals because, like, I mean, like, that's what you did. Like, nowadays when you got money, you buy, like, an iPhone and a car and stuff. Well, they bought, like, sheep, okay? That's what they did. So he bought all these sheep and all these animals and all these cattle because you had all this money. But the poor guy, see, the poor guy didn't have much money. In fact, he used all of his money to buy one sheep. He spent all he had for this one sheep, and he loved this sheep. In fact, he would feed this sheep from his own table. Like the food that he made for his family, he would actually feed to the sheep. And he would hold the sheep in his arms. And he loved this sheep. And then one day, a traveler came into town, a friend of the rich guys. And the traveler said, what's up, bro? It's been a while. We haven't really hung out in a while. You know what? I'm crazy hungry. Can we get some food? And you know what I love? Oh, man, I would love some lamb chops. You know what I'm saying? I love some lamb chops with some barbecue sauce on top. Dude, let's hang out and let's eat some lamb chops. 
and look, you got all these cattle and all these sheep, and you got, you, got, you got plenty of stuff here so that we can actually have some lamb chops. And the rich guy says, actually, I've got a better idea. See, I've got this neighbor down the street, and he's got this one sheep. So let's do this. I'm going to take his sheep, uh, and we're actually going to have it, and we're going to feast on his sheep. David hears this story and he gets irate. I mean, it's just a story, but David is mad. He, like some of you might feel the same way. You're like, I can't believe that rich guy would do it. Like how on earth could the rich guy do that? And so it says this, David burned with anger. Oh man, he is angry. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. Like I can't believe that someone would get that low. I can't believe that they would take that person's sheep. As, as surely as God God is alive. I'm going to kill that person. If I see that person, I'm going to wring his neck. I can't believe that he would steal that sheep. And then Nathan says to David, you are the man. It's you. See, because you took the one sheep that belonged to that guy. And you didn't even realize that what you were doing was wrong. And all of a sudden, what was obvious to everyone else became obvious to David. That he had messed up. And he was blind to it because we're blind to our faults. He didn't even realize that what he was doing was wrong. And then, because Nathan came into his life, he realized he messed up. This is what it says. It said, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. After almost a year, finally David realizes I, I messed up. In fact, he writes this psalm, it's Psalm 51, where he begins to pour out his heart to God, and he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. God, I have messed up. I made a big mistake, and I didn't even realize it. See, because it took Nathan getting in his face for David to realize that he had messed up. It took God bringing someone else, someone older, someone wiser into his life for David to realize that he had made a mistake because he was blind to his faults. See, because you got to remember, for this whole year, I'm sure that David went to the temple. I'm sure that David worshiped. I'm sure that David raised his hands. I'm sure that David read scripture. I'm sure that he prayed to God, and yet he didn't realize that he had done something wrong. He didn't realize that he was sabotaging his life until God brought someone else until God brought Nathan into his life. And David realized in that moment that we is greater than me. That we is greater than me. That David, a man after God's own heart, David, a man who loved the Lord, still needed other people. And that God still spoke through other people. David needed someone older and someone wiser to speak into his life and to expose the areas of his life that he didn't even realize were an issue. And see, I realized this. I, I, uh, I remember I was, I was in seventh grade and I went to this winter, uh, this like winter retreat. Um, it, was, it was actually a lot like Dig, um, but we had a different name for it because in the 90s, we named things differently. And so, um, and so we called it Disciple Now. That's what we call it. It's such a lame name, but that's what we called it. And so it was a weekend retreat, a lot like Dig. It was called Disciple Now. And, uh, and I remember going to Disciple Now, and I had this leader, and the leader's name was Brett. 
And uh, I was probably 12 at the time, and Brett was in college, or he had just graduated. He was like 22 or so. And uh, I remember, like, I, you know, I'm s such a nerd, and so I remember being 12 and looking up to Brett and just being, like, blown away by Brett. I was like, dude, he's, like, he's so cool. Like, like everything he does is awesome. And so I remember, we, like, we were having our small group time, and he was telling us this story about a time that he went to Hawaii. And I remember sitting there being like, he went to Hawaii. That's amazing. Like, I was, like, just the smallest detail of his life. I was like, he went to Hawaii. And then, and then we, like, were all in his car, and we were driving somewhere as part of the weekend. And I remember watching him drive and just being like, dude, he's driving a car. Like, that's amazing. Like, this guy is incredible, man. Like, I was blown away. Uh, but it wasn't just, you know, his trip to Hawaii and him driving a car. It was also, like, like, like I watched him worship. And I watched him read scripture and I listened to him pray and I was blown away by this guy because I could tell that not only was he older than me not only was he wiser than me but man he had a relationship with God that I wanted he was closer to God than I was and I was just in awe and so at the end of the weekend he he called the guys together and he was like hey you know here's here's my information if you want to stay in touch I'd love to stay in touch with you um, and he did he actually did stay in touch with me. In fact, some of you know this. He, he, he wrote me a letter almost once a month, um, which is incredible, just like speaking into my life. And God often used Brett to encourage me when I needed to be encouraged. God often used Brett to like call me out on stuff when I needed to be called out. There were moments of my life where I was struggling to hear the voice of God, and yet I would hear the voice of God through Brett. See, in other words, Brett was my Nathan. He's someone older than me, someone wiser than me, that God used to speak into my life. And I needed it. Like, I remember um, this one time in college, I was, I was dating this girl, and I thought that she was the one. You know, I was like, I'm, you know, this is the one. I'm going to get married to her. Um, and then she broke up with me. And that's a good sign that she's not the one, okay? Um, if it ends, then she's probably not the one. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? And I was, like, sad and upset and confused, and I didn't really know where to turn. So I called up Brett, and he helped me because I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know where to go from there. But Brett spoke into my life what I believe the very words of God that I needed to hear. And then I remember there was this other time I was, I, I, I was going to this church, and I felt like the church had wronged me. I felt judged by the church. I felt like, you know, they just, they were just being so mean to me. And I remember being angry and upset at the church. And I remember um, I didn't really, you know, I didn't want to talk to God about it necessarily. And I definitely didn't want to talk to anyone from the church about it. So I didn't really know where to turn. So I called Brett. And I told him the whole situation. I expected him to feel bad for me and tell me about how terrible the church was. And he called me out. Because the church wasn't in the wrong, I was in the wrong. But I was blind to my faults, and I needed that. And God spoke through Brett. And then I remember this other time, I, I, I found out that my dad was uh, in the hospital, and we didn't know what was wrong with him. And when you don't know, you know, what's wrong with someone, you don't know when they're going to get better or if they're going to get better. And I remember being so sad and confused and like, I just honestly didn't really want to talk to God about it because I felt like he was responsible for it. 
and I didn't know where to turn. And so I called up Brett. And I needed to hear what he had to say to me. And there have been times in my life where I've been angry with God, like upset at a decision that he made or a decision that he has yet to make. I'm like, God, why are you doing that? God, why aren't you doing this? God, how could you do this? And in those moments, when I didn't know where to turn, I called up Brett. And God, the very God that I was angry with, spoke through Brett when I needed to hear it. Because see, everyone needs a Nathan. And I needed a Nathan. And you need a Nathan. And what you may not realize is that you actually have a Nathan. See, your Nathan is your life group leader. Your Nathan, the Nathan that God wants to speak into your life and help you, is your life group leader. And so I want to do this just, just real quick. Can we actually have all of our life group leaders stand real quick and look around for your life group leader? Uh, and I want to give them first just a huge round of applause, a huge thank you. All right, y'all can, y'all can sit down. Thank you. These life group leaders care so much about you. And, and, and honestly, you may not know that or maybe you haven't realized it yet, but man, they love you and they care so much for you. See, I remember, um, I remember being 12 years old and getting a letter from Brett, and Brett's like 10 years older than me. He was maybe 22 at the time. And uh, I remember getting a letter from Brett and being 12 and opening up the letter and being like, well, obviously, <laughs> like, of course he would write me a letter because I'm me. Like, who wouldn't want to write me a letter, you know? Like, I'm so all about myself. I'm like, totally he's writing me a letter. Like, he has nothing else to do, so obviously he's writing me a letter. And I didn't really think twice about it. And then, and then I remember being 22. And I thought about what he did when he was 22 to write me a letter. And I realized that there was so much sacrifice that he made to do that that he cared so much for me more than I even realized at the time. Because see, the older that you get, the more pressures you have and the less time you have. And so when anyone does something for you at 22, that's incredible. And at 32, it's even more incredible. And 42 and 52 and on and on. And so the fact, and this may not seem like a big deal, the fact that these life group leaders are here for you every single week is incredible because they don't have to be. I'm not forcing them to be here. On their own, they choose to show up and not only show up, but show up early at your life group to be there for you. And they have plenty of other things to do. And yet they want to be here for you because they love you. In fact, I've got I've to tell this story. One of our life group leaders did something pretty incredible uh, last week. Um, he, uh, you know, our life group leaders have so much that they've got to do, and uh, oftentimes they're, like, traveling, and they're in and out of the state. And this one life group leader knew that he was going to be out of the state and felt so bad about it, but he couldn't move it because of, uh, because of work. And so he, he said, you know what? I, I want to do whatever I can to be there for as long as I can for my guys. And so here's what he did. He found out that the, the conference he was at ended on a certain day, uh, ended on Thursday, and he made sure to book the earliest flight that he could on that day so that he could be here with his guys. And then, then not only that, not only did he book an earlier flight, 
and try to get the earliest flight he could that day, but he wanted to be here in time, and so he actually rented a car that would pick him up as soon as the plane landed, because he didn't want there to be any time. And that costs time, that costs energy, that costs money, but he did it anyway, because he cares about his group. And so the car picked him up, and he started heading here straight from the airport. And then he had plenty of other things that he could do, and he chose while he was in the car to FaceTime his guys because he loves his guys. And here's the deal. You may not realize how much time, energy, and money went into that decision, but I do. And that's a big deal. And it's evidence that your life group leaders care about you. He's not the only one, man. There there are so many life group leaders you have that care for you and want to pour into you and want to be the Nathan in your life. See, because when I had issues, I had Nathan, but his name was Brett Davis. And for you, you have a Nathan too, and it's your life group leader. And so here's here's the question that I want to leave you with tonight. Will you trust your life group leader? Will you trust your life group leader? Like, are you willing to actually call them up when things are rough? Are you willing to actually open up to them to be your Nathan? Because there are issues in your life that you might be blind to, or maybe you're not blind to it, but you don't know how to get better. And God has put someone in your life older and wiser than you that can speak into your life and help you. And some of you are asking God and you're praying to God and you're saying, God, I need help and God, I need help. And this situation is so tough and I don't know what to do. And the whole time, maybe God's saying to you, trust your life group leader. Trust your life group leader. And so for some of you in the room, you have yet to sign up for a life group. Tonight is the very last night that you can do that. And so maybe for you, trusting your life group leader means signing up today means when you go to your connection group, you say, hey, I, I want to sign up. I want to do this. And for some of you, you're already in your life group, but you're kind of closed off, you know? You don't, like, you're fine all by yourself, and, 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 and you're okay with just showing up and just being here, and, you know, you, you sit here, and you raise your hands, and you sing it. But David needed Nathan. And so do you. And so maybe today is the day that you go up to your life group leader and you just say, hey, I, 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 I need help. Maybe today is the day that you go up to your life group leader and you tell them what's really going on in your life. Maybe today is the day you go up to your life group leader and you say, hey, can I, can I, can I get your phone number just in case? Will you trust your life group leader? Because we're blind to our own faults and we're blind to how we can actually get better. And yet God puts people in your life to help you. Because we is greater than me. Let me pray for you. God, I love these students. And I uh, I know that what they need uh, is not necessarily another group. They don't necessarily need another commitment of their time. What they need is a leader who will love them and speak into their life. And so I pray that, I pray that you would use these leaders 
adults in this room to be the Nathan that these students need. God, I know that relationships take a long time to form. I pray that you would like speed up these relationships, <laughs> that these students would trust more easily and more quickly the leaders that are in their group. I pray, uh, I pray that they would, maybe for those in the room that haven't signed up for a life group, that they would do that today. And maybe for the, for the students in the room that have a difficult time trusting others, I pray they would open up and they would tell their leaders what's really going on. Because God, we know that we can't do this without you. But what we may not realize is that we can't do this without each other. So I pray that you would build a community here and that you would use these life group leaders to be Nathan students' lives. We need you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.